friends, welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my little white soldier in training oh, wow. and co-host. I honestly thought you were just going to call me Hitler, Alex Dandino. I figured that was a little heavy to hang upon you before we started getting into the movie. I was like, that's one of those things kids could weaponize against us. Truth, truth. So, guys, if you're here with us, uh, we hope you've been enjoying the show. We hope you enjoyed The Lighthouse, the uh, the first of our two end caps for the year that we really missed and we were sad we missed and we wanted to cover. Uh, so, first we did The Lighthouse. Today, Alex is bringing us Jojo Rabbit, his choice for the movie we should have covered and just missed. Glad we're correcting this now. It's a fucking stellar movie. Before we jump in, if you guys could take a second, leave us a rating and review uh, wherever you find the podcast, especially Apple Podcasts. Make sure you're subscribed. Share uh, all of our links with your friends on social media. Follow us on social media. And you can find us on YouTube at uh, The Nerd Alchemist. That's plural with an S at the end. If you want to see these lovely faces, uh, and in 2020... We've been laying out roadmaps for new fun content we're going to add over there. You know, watching some trailers, playing some games, smaller kind of talks about this and that. So make sure you subscribe uh, and join all the fun, guys. Thank you, as always, for that. So, Alex, you chose uh, Jojo Rabbit as the movie that we should be ashamed of ourselves for not having covered when it happened. I did. Walk me through this thought process. Jojo Rabbit uh, is written and directed by Taika Waititi, who... Many of you probably know as the director, and I believe he wrote it too, of uh, Thor Ragnarok. Um, I personally uh, think every year Taika Waititi makes a movie that isn't uh, like a blockbuster like Thor or any of the Marvel movies. He always makes these movies that end up being my favorite movie I saw this year, and yet he never gets nominated for anything. The year Hunt for the Wilder People came out, that was the best movie I saw all year. Literally nothing was better than that movie. And no one saw it, which was terrible. And the same thing, ha- yeah. same thing happened for what we what we do in shadows. Obviously, was much more entertaining for some people, and I, I absolutely loved it. Um, it had a better. It's a TV show now. It had a little better life, and you know, I don't think they were going to nominate it for any awards. But the thing that I love the most about Jojo Rabbit, and the thing that Taika Waititi seems to always get from me, is the tug on the heartstrings that he always has with these very small stories about. I mean, they're, they're, I mean, particularly, I, I can always equate it back to Hunt for the Wilder People and this movie are about small kids who are uh, children who are seen as less than, maybe not uh, taken as seriously as some of their other kids, and the th- amazing things they can accomplish simply by being them. And I think the crazy thing that I love the most about Jojo Rabbit, though, is about this movie being essentially about love. Like that's the thing that I love the most about it is this movie is about love and the power of love and the power of loving other people that can carry you through the worst of times. And this truly is a story about probably some of the worst times we've ever had as a human race. So, yeah, I think the stunning thing to me was, again, I just missed this movie because I live in Indiana. So very limited screens and show. Right, right. I forced myself to get out. I think this is the la- it was like the last day I could have seen it, too. So force my <coughs> myself out to catch it. Sorry, guys, I'm still sick again. Bear with me. I maybe one of these fucking months I'll not be sick. Jesus Christ. Uh, but what the movie does, I and mean, this is the like my first walk away was I was like, 
and this year especially, I don't know. I think I kind of know what are going to be up for best picture. Yeah. The only like really big two I haven't seen is Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which I hear only rave reviews about. And uh, 1912 or 17, 19, the war movie that's coming out. 1917. Right. I hear a lot of amazing things about those. But honestly, if you had to make me pick, like, what was kind of like my best picture winning movie of the year, it would be Jojo Rabbit over even Parasite and this and that. Like, I think it's the best movie I saw all year. <laughs> Just on kind of like the things it accomplishes are so vast and complete. The thing that shocked me. Again, I guess I just didn't realize I was like in the masses where I didn't see an enormous amount of marketing material. I just knew Taika Waititi, Hitler comedy. Right. That's all I really knew going in. And the start of the movie sets you up. You think you're doing. Oh, I get it. It's like a childhood comedy romp, right? It felt Moonrise Kingdom. Sure, sure. What I was completely unexpecting was to have the emotional weight and drama fit into this kind of cartoonish comedy right and i guess it made sense because as i walked out of the theater and even the first couple minutes you're doing a lot of like laughing with nazis even as they're tongue-in-cheek like things aren't going good for us y'all yeah and you're like ha, 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 ha. but also you're like we are like here at like a hitler youth camp like this okay <laughs> you know what i mean so i was like i felt like it was gonna wear thin on me and then the movie does this unbelievable switch into a true dramatic story. Yeah. And even there's like 20 or 30 minutes in the final part of the movie. That is just pure heavy drama. Yeah. You know, with little, little breaks here and there, but I actually was, I could not believe how seamlessly he melded what I thought the movie was with the dramatically better version that I walked away seeing. Right. I mean, to me, I think the strength of this movie lies in the fact that it never, shies away from it never shies away from the true terror of kind of like the like the nazi party like that's the scariest thing right. about this movie is that nazi germany is the nazi germany is where they're and not only that it's the end of world war ii that's the thing that i thought was the most interesting thing is setting it towards the end of world war ii where everyone knows that this is gonna go this everyone knows this is going poorly like it's literally after the allied forces have like almost taken back france i think like like oh no they have at that point like they've taken back France like everyone knows like everything's closing in on Germany itself so everybody is constantly in a situation where like yeah like you're saying like it's not going well but uh, I guess we'll just keep the Hitler youth out there trying to you know keep keep things keep yeah. things going like that's that's what I think is interesting <laughs> like the auspice of it being terrifying is that any moment yeah. the Allied forces could show up and blow up the fucking town so like. The fact that this kid is still so gung ho about like I know like it's the like odd wide eyed innocence of a child, and it's terrifying because it's about the wide eyed innocence of innocence of a child who believes that you know the Third Reich is the greatest thing that ever happened. It's like if he thought the Third Reich was the Beatles, like it's it's pretty right. It's terrifying. It even opens on that fucking Beatles song. I know, right? Like that's like. <laughs> Like and that again, like there's little cues and little subtle things like that that Taika Waititi does in this movie that make that part of it so much. That's what makes it so much more terrifying. I think the fact that it takes place right. at the end of World War II is what really makes this movie fascinating, and that's what makes JoJo's journey so much more compelling. So once it makes this like hard switch at the end of the movie to kind of like really like a very Saving Private Ryan-y dramatic moments. Uh, 
it, it still feels very it's like it never feels like it's been forced into a oh we have to address this like it's being addressed throughout the entire movie yeah. it's very interesting well it's it's it i mean it's quite a tightrope to walk right uh, oh yeah i mean you have to have this amazing well of good faith and people just trusting you enormously to do this movie yeah period <clears throat> and again I don't know that 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 it being placed at the end of the war mattered an enormous amount to me, but I think to your point, what it does is there are dramatic moments that become so much worse when you're like, "Fuck!" If they had only made it like three more days, yeah, you know what I mean. So there's a lot of that impact. I think what this movie does so well, and a lot of Taika Waititi's movies in general, is it's looking at kind of serious flaws in the world. Mm -hmm through the naive lens of a child, yeah. right? So look at it as it is, but in kind of this simplistic truth, right? which exposes the, the comedy of well, it. Well, that's like... And I think that's what JoJo is. Yeah. And it's just this brilliant, like, he's this little soldier, right? This little wannabe soldier. He doesn't have the heart for it, but he wants it. He wants it so fucking bad. Right. And, and that becomes this interesting play throughout the movie, right? And I love the part... <laughs> he fucking blows himself up that's a moment in the movie i was like wait what's happening like this is when you knew it was a different kind of movie right. and it and it's just like one of these like extra visual storytelling moments i didn't expect from this kind of movie which is that's the first moment where now that he's like crippled and his face is scarred he has to look at himself as less than perfect right. Aryan person right and that leads him to examine all of these other kind of cracks in the third reich's philosophy i think I think that's the brilliance of the movie is <laughs> when you just look at these guys and, you know, the Third Reich and all that, we look – and this is the hard tightrope, right, is you don't want to make it to where people can't talk about it, right, because then we'll forget. Right. And this could happen again and worse. But also you – it's so hard to be able to artistically do this and take the piss out of it without seeming disrespectful to what happened. Right. I mean, I th and I think that's the crazy fucking part is by doing it through this lens of Jojo, it gives it this kind of overall umbrella of the Third Reich and their beliefs were so asinine yeah. that only a child could buy into it. Right. And even then, a child outthinks it well, by the end of the movie. Not only that, not, o not only does a child outthink it and not only could only a child buy into it, like the greatest tightrope walk and I'm speaking of that within the movie is Taika Waititi not only writing and directing this, but taking on the role of the imaginary friend version of Hitler, which might be right. One of my all time favorite performances because you have to simultaneously address the fact that this guy was a monster address the fact that this is like kind of supposed to be, it's a child's imaginary friend, So it's kind of a, it's, it's a comedic foil throughout the movie. Right. And on top of that, it's a, you know, fucking raving madman who is, like, egging on a child. Like, again, you're right. It is a wonderful, like, metaphor of, like, can you fucking believe, like, a kid outfoxes an adult by the end of this saying, like, yeah, obviously you're wrong. But the use of Hitler in this movie, which I thought was going to be very gimmicky and weird. And I was like, because, honestly, I, I, I like the idea but the trailer, again, I thought the same, like, it's either going to be really good or this is going to be, like, so far over the top and over the line. Yeah. It's not going to be interesting and it's going to be, like, super disrespectful. 
I was so impressed, man. Like that was like probably the, yeah. And it's not too funny because like there's things that he talks about. Like it's very like Hitler hated Jews. So Hitler, like the imaginary friend version of Hitler talks about how much he hated Jew, the Jewish people, how much he hates the Jewish people, their special powers and all this other shit. And again, it's all so childish. And that is like kind of this like fascinating thing that Taika Waititi does in this movie is you realize how childish Hitler was and you realize how childish everything is that all the adults seem so much less. I mean, down to like Sam Rockwell, Rebel Wilson, Stephen Merchant, all of them seem so childish within the movie themselves that every adult seems sort of like a fanciful character at that po- at that point. It's strange. Right. And I, I think that's – I don't know that I was all the way in love with how they used Hitler all the time. In the movie, I thought that the comedic performance was great, right? right? And I liked it with TD also added two or three scenes where he went full dark Hitler, like raving in the kitchen. I thought that was an important beat because, again, it shows you how deeply perverse this was, that this guy was so embedded in the minds of even a 10-year-old. And I think to your point, I think that's what TD did in his performance that is perfect, right? Is this is Hitler... As written by a 10-year-old boy's mind, yet seems almost closer than you would imagine to what the real Hitler's ideas were. <laughs> yeah. So, again, it, it does lay this, all the other characters we see that are, you know, out there spouting off. You're like, this is the fucking Looney Tune they're working for. I mean, this is a hard role, too. I don't think he accomplishes, you know, like what Chaplin did in The Great Dictator. I don't think it got to that place. No, 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 but no. I think not even close. this movie, yeah, and that's the thing. I think this movie was, but that movie was a specific takedown of Hitler as a guy. Right. I think this one, Hitler becomes this cartoon avatar for just the, the concept of hatred. Yeah, totally. You know, and how small-minded and stupid. So I think it's a different way to, to accomplish a very similar takedown. And yeah, I mean, I thought he was just wildly funny, and I I liked the way he added that extra dark part of Hitler too. Yeah, I mean, because if you never address the fact that that guy had the mean underbelly, I think then you don't. It doesn't land as well. Well, I mean, I think it's a really important. The, the last scene you see, the last scene you see him as Hitler in, when he's walking around berating him in the kitchen. Sorry, is that the second to last scene? Might be the second to last scene. But either the way. The last scene is when he has the head wound. Right. Yeah. The head wound thing is very important. That's one of those things I'm like, it's so interesting. Like, we're not going to address this. But, like, as a child, JoJo is finally admitting to himself, like, this guy has no idea what he's doing. And that's, like, really kind of like the visual representation of it. It's like, this is someone who literally shot himself because he was like, oh, I'm going to get caught. And I'm he still quit. here. He quit. Like, that's, like, the really fascinating thing. And, like, everybody, all the other role models in JoJo's life, like his mother and uh, Sam Rockwell's character and even Alfie Allen's character to a lesser extent because he doesn't really have a part. But, like, the important thing is those characters who are role models in this movie don't quit. Like, they don't quit the way that that, like, the hero myth of Hitler is so shattered by the end of this movie for JoJo that... The real hero yeah. ends up being his mother, Sam Rockwell, these people who literally looked out for him. Because, again, it gets addressed so often. Like, uh, the little girl who lives in their house says it. Um, and, uh, like, his mother says it. which was just like, you're not a Nazi. You're just a little boy. Like, and that, I think, is probably yeah. the most telling and most interesting 
aspect of the story itself is that like Nazism is not about supremacy or whatever it is. It's about being a little child and not wanting to admit that you're wrong. Like that's, that's really kind of like the fascinating aspect of it to me. Yeah. I think that's what the movie did. It had these extra characters that I thought really added a lot. I, I'll be honest. I did not see the, the kind of Anne Frank version of the story coming. No. I didn't know we were going to do that, but I was like, what a lovely, it just is such a perfect visual way to kind of capture this bigger idea of what's happening of this little boy, just scared of this caricature version, you know, talking to her through the walls and you know, that puts a separation. But by the end of the movie, we're more and more spending time in the same room. He just, you just can't help, but realize how fucking nonsensical all of this is. And so that's one of those things. I didn't know that was going to be in the movie. I didn't it either. It's such a, and it's insanely excellent addition to the end, yeah. right? Well, because uh, it's, it's not simply and, just this. It's not simply a story about a little boy who discovers that Nazism's bad. It's like a little boy who discovers that people are, people like, people are not fundamentally evil. People become evil. People decide to be evil. Like, right. and the people who decide to be good are different. Yeah. I mean, I think that's that's yeah, that was the kind of stuff in the movie that I loved, right? Like their bond growing, right? His letters from Nathan to her, or Nathaniel. It's such a that was you know, it's this classic way of like, I don't want to prove that or I don't want to like be nice to you, but also like on a core level, he understood that what he did was wrong, yeah, right? Totally. That all of us at a core level understand when we're being wrong right. and being rude to others. And I thought that was just a lovely way to capture this this kind of macroscopic version of the tale, which is a lot harder to tell. And it, they kept it really focused. And you see this throughout all the characters. Like, Clydeman might be the most interesting character by the end of the movie. Because yeah. he's obviously a closeted gay soldier, right? Him and his lover work together. Right. And at the end, this was the part that I found so strange is how this guy went through the ranks of becoming this Nazi leader. And then by the end, you're like, did he hurt himself on purpose and keep getting busted down? But he takes the siege of the town as a chance to get his, you know, fully decked out, bedazzled Elton John yeah, version totally. of the costume, which becomes this man finally coming out in his own way. But still fighting. I thought that was a weird, like, why is he still fighting? Because right. he already helped JoJo and the girl escape when he, you know, read the the passport wrong. Right. Didn't rat him out. And then, you know, he has that moment where he's still fighting. And then the, one of the best moments in the movie is when he pulls the coat off of JoJo. Oh, my JoJo. God. Oh, my God. He's like, get out of here, little Jew, and spits on him. And it's just this lovely moment of even this guy who we see as this kind of hardened you know, cartoon version of a Nazi officer who's fully bought in. By the end of the movie, he, again, was just another guy who understood that this fucking philosophy and the stupidity of all this kept him from being who he wanted to be. Right. I mean, that's... that's that becomes fat. What did you make of him? Like, why was he still fighting at the end, I guess? I mean, to me, he's still fighting at the end because he knows... He's, I think, to me, that's like... It's interesting because I think like my dad, when we were kids, used to watch so much World War Two shit. It's just like built into my memory. But like, that's the kind of thing where I've always considered that. Like, that's those are the kinds of soldiers that like they know they knew they were going to 
they knew they were going to get caught. They knew they were doing the wrong thing. Like right. they had no choice because like, you know, he's trying to hide in plain sight, obviously with him and Finkel. Like to me, what it ends up being is like the reason he's fighting is simply because he knows he's not going to get out of it. So why not go out the way he wants to go out for one? But then also, you know, right. it's the same way I feel like Inglorious Bastards put it best, which is like you're going to take it off and we're going to be not going to be able to see you. So, like, this is his opportunity to be able to be seen because he knows he's not going to be able to take it off after that. I think that that's that was my take from it. I mean, it, yeah, it could be anything, to be honest with you. It was su- it was such a lovely moment, man. Like, I just I love that ending with him. But it kind of again, it walks that weird tightrope of <laughs> he's still fighting and presumably kills Americans. I mean, he's still this bad dude, but he has one moment of decency. So are we supposed to forgive and be like, look, that Nazi had a heart of gold. I, and that was like one of the weird, I love the moment right, right between him and the kid. But I think they showed other times when he was bought in and fighting and maybe killing. I mean, I only saw him. <laughs> I, made that I only saw like him a, fighting a softening there, yeah. of the Nazi. Right. But that's what I mean. They, I mean, he was obviously an officer and he had a blunder of an operation and kept getting busted down. Right. But at the end, he's running out with, like, guns and stuff. So I thought, again, and this is the the problem the movie has at times, is it's how do you have that moment, you know, right. with any of these characters? They've all, a lot of them have crossed a line, right? right? Well, and this is something we all deal with in this world all the time, which is when is it enough to just try to, you know, do be decent for a moment, right. and, you know, writing people off and whatever. Well, I mean, I, I mean, this guy was a Nazi commander, but twice we see him do something very noble. Right. I mean, to me, I think that Jojo's life, like Jojo's life hinges on the fact that like, really like when you think about it, he's not Hitler's really not his hero. Like Hitler takes the place of his father because he doesn't have a father. Like, right. So like really kind of father who he thinks is out fighting with the Nazis, who obviously is dead and they just don't want to say anything, which is fine. Like that's part of life. Like you, you lie to your children because you love them. Like that's, you know, I'm going to lie to my kid when he's older and say, no, no, violent video games are bad for you, even though they're fucking awesome. And I hope you listen to this when you're a little, I hope you listen to this when you can, Henry, because just so you know, I was lying the entire time. But like, that's like the power of Jojo's mother. Like, by the way, like, I mean, (sighs) Scarlett Johansson has probably one of my all time favorite performances in this movie. Like, I think she's wonderful. Yeah. And, the scene where the reveal of her being hung in the town square might be one of the most masterful moments of filmmaking we got this year. It's so simple. Yeah. It's beautiful. Well, it's, just the shoes. It's beautiful. Mm. It's devastating. That kid is uh, Roman Griffin Davis. Wow. Like, he's an actual actor. Like, I felt I, – I was crying. Like, it was like – I really felt the pain. I yeah. saw it in his eyes. Like, that was amazing stuff, man. But – to me, yeah, the reason... that one was hard because I actually didn't see that coming. Oh no, I didn't. I feel like one of the problems with doing these kind of podcasts and being the kind of guys we are is that we you can see a lot of it coming ahead of times in certain movies. Right. This one caught me off guard several times, which I thought was so much fun. Right. <laughs> Not that that moment was fun, but no, but no, that's... the whole Scarlett Johansson's character, I think, is the the perfect counterbalance for what's happening. Yeah. Well, Which is, imagine a woman who's fight, lost a daughter, lost a husband, right? 
she's housing this girl, trying to give some decency to the world. Right. Right. She's obviously just a woman who's full of life. She loves dancing, loves her son. But she's in this unwinnable shit situation. And she's trying to do the best she can, even if that means letting her son be a little fucking Nazi. Right. I mean, right. And she never tells him, don't put the clothes on. Never she says never it. feels like she's using him as cover. No, nope. she's just letting him be the kid he needs to be because she understands in this moment we have to be what we can to survive. Right. And the, the devastation of that moment, too, which is. Jojo, her son, being a Nazi, and she's starting to kind of win him over by the end. She has that amazing scene where she dresses as the dad. Oh, my God, dude. Oh. I mean, it's just one of the, the best scenes of the year. Yeah. And they're dancing, and then she takes him out on the bike ride, and he's like, Mom, we don't have time for love. You know, I'm sitting there. I'm trying to, you know, we got a war to prepare for, and she just, like, leaves him down there. Yeah. It's this really sweet moment, you know? All these moments, you know, oh, welcome back, boys. Go hug your mothers. Oh, my God. Right? Even that she's just one of those. And then the, the shoe tying, though, when JoJo's trying to tie her shoes mm -hmm. as she's hanging there and he can't do it, it, it was just so devastating. Oh God. And that, to me, is the strength of this movie is I did not expect those moments to exist in this movie. I mean. But looking back on it now, having seen it, I don't know how you make this movie without true drama no you have to then like, you are being then you're being disingenuous. Yeah, then you're not being earnest and talking about right. it like then you're not addressing the real problem and like the actual issue which is that this was a country that was being torn apart by hatred and people who loved their family loved their friends were disloyal to their disloyal to their core and decided like you know in honor of my country like it was country before it was country before love like and that's what i think is a really important thing and again, you're right. Like Rosie, not Rosie, not telling her son she, he's wrong is such an important thing. Like Jojo feeling that he's right for most of the movie is a very fascinating psychological thing, but also a very important aspect of like the mothering that Rosie does, which is again, like you're a father. Mm -hmm. We sacrifice a lot for our children. Like, would you sac? Would you be able to sacrifice like? Would you be able to sacrifice the sanctity of your home and like trying to keep your family together while also doing the right thing, which is unfortunately having to hide a hide a Jewish girl in your like floorboards? Like that's like right. That's the real tragedy. Is having to, that's the real tragedy and the real like drama that is explored in this movie throughout, which is that right being right. Besides the fact that if she had made it two more days, she totally would have. Yeah. It would have been fine. Right. It's such a gut-wrenching moment that he drops it in. But this is the way I look at that character, too, which is so important. It's one thing for the Allies to come in and just beat them because they are a superior military force, right? Right, right. <laughs> Rosie is truly the one who defeats Nazism in the movie. Right. Oh, totally. Losing her, her husband, losing her daughter... What she does by bringing the girl in, and there's even that moment where she's talking to the little girl in the wall, and she says, if I have to choose between my son and you, I will choose him. But then she softens it like, I'll have to find another place for you. What we see in the end is that that's not true. She chose that girl, you could say, over being with her son. The way I choose to look at that is what she did is she led a life that JoJo now has a true example. Right. Whatever comes in the future, 
And I think this is the hardest thing actually us parents have to do is it's easy for us to say, don't do that. Don't do this. Do that. Get good grades, whatever. Right. She truly leads by example in the worst scenario. Right. I think it truly believes that it's what she tells that girl. Right. If you if one person is alive, right, they've lost as long as there's one little bit of hope and flame and tomorrow you will do the things you haven't done today. So right. and you even get that early when Kleinman's like, oh, his mom's going to kill me. Kleinman knows the mom. Kleinman knows that she was killed and knows the Gestapo's coming. And because of her decency, even after she need him in the balls, Kleinman hightails it over there to protect Jojo. Right. Because of her decency. I'm, you know, but that's <laughs> and I, it's such a bittersweet feeling that at the end, Jojo will have a pretty rough run of it after this. Yeah. But his mom, in a way, gave the best bit of herself she ever could to him. I mean, yeah, that's exactly right? she is. the She is the force that crushes his delusion. Right. I mean, that's like, yeah, I mean, you're right. It's the example we leave. It's the example we lead for our children. And yeah, like she is. She is the most powerful character in this movie, like 100 percent. And that's yeah, that goes for all. Absolutely. Again, that goes for all moms. And actually, Taika Waititi said this was like a kind of a love letter to his mother because it's like, have you ever like I didn't realize when I was he, apparently he was saying like I didn't realize when I was a kid, like single parents do so much. Like if you're a single parent, like like all parents, but like single like my mom, like a single mother particularly is like she's so important. I mean, that's like. That's probably the most important thing about this movie. Scarlett Johansson's character being so powerful to like allow her son to be a Hitler youth and love have heroes like have heroes like Hitler to the point where there are posters on the wall, but making yeah. sure that in the end he knew that she did the right thing. That's like that's like a really right. important thing. But not only that, like not showing him, like saying like, hey, she's here, like she her keeping it from jojo and jojo discovering it on his own makes it that much more powerful of a moment when jojo realizes that his mother yeah was doing the right thing it's right and it's a strange moment because a part of me is it's i'm torn between the two right that if she honestly believed her philosophy she should have told jojo and put it to the test right i believe that love will win out and it's important and we're all bonded right be a good person right and put it on jojo to you know not fuck this up but also there's a way where she still does that right because if she puts it on him then he you know is running around nervous he gets caught he's brought in on the problem right exactly so she can still defeat the nazism and try to keep it's such a and that's what i mean it's a hard unwinnable I mean, scenario for her i mean when, <laughs> it's the terrible moment where when she chooses to do the right thing in a way she cannot win Right. To do the right thing, you know, because this, again, what she says in that wall, just stay alive another day. The easiest way for her to do that would have been to shut her heart and let that girl. Right. Well, I mean, survive on her own. She didn't right. do that. But I mean, what you're describing is parenting. Like it's it's yeah. it's doing the hard thing, knowing full <laughs> well that it's going to make your child miserable or make someone else miserable, like or yourself miserable. But you do it for the good of your family. You did it for, do it for the good of your child or children right like that's like that's the well, power more of parenting. Than that right it, yeah a lot of us parents assume that we're so much more important 
than we are in a way, which is not to say that parents not important. I think what it is is we imagine our kids can't do it without us. Right. Right. So we want to stay there to hover and lord and we want to get do the advice scenes, you know, from like full house or whatever. We want to do that kind of parenting. Right. This is truly the hardest thing you can do, which is the world has shown you how brutal and hard and terrible things can be. And if she just gives up and falls into that, she might lose Jojo forever. Right. Right. Because then he becomes the they beat us only because of this and this and could still be hardened. Right. By doing this, he must confront that this truly lovely, awesome person gave everything up to show him right. that the world can be a better place. Totally. And that's the kind of sacrifice that, you know, in a perfect world, very few of us parents will ever have to make. Knock on wood. But it's so much more powerful than, yeah, like, you don't want a parent to have to do that. Like, I know I don't ever want to have to do that. I hope that I would have the gumption. Right. Right? I want to be like Carl Winslow. It's just like, Eddie, get good grades. <laughs> I don't want to have to do this kind of parenting. But that's, it's all the more powerful. And I think that's the thing, because they hit it from the love angle. Right? And then they hit it with him just, when you spend time with another human, the differences fade away. And we just find out we're all just kind of the same meat machine. Yeah. And then they have this great extra layer, which is the kids as like working stiffs. Yeah. Which is just outstanding in the movie. Like his little friend is the best oh my part God. of the movie. Yorkie is amazing. He's, he has. Yeah, Yorkie. It's so, that is one of my favorite kid performances in any movie ever. Yorkie has my favorite line <laughs> in the movie and maybe one of my, mo- one of my favorite like telling moments, which is at the end when they've been defeated and everything, he walks up to, he walks up to Jojo and goes, I'm going to go home to see my mother. I need a cuddle like that. That in and of itself right there is the saving grace of like parenting is like you, <laughs> you go out, you think you can do it on your own, but God, it's just so nice to come home sometimes and like hug your mom. Like that's like, that's like in and of itself, the important story of Jojo's journey from being like Hitler youth to understanding that yes, love can save a lot of things and love can save you and particularly from yourself. Sometimes it's beautiful. Well, it's just funny because they have these great moments with him where he's just this working stiff. Yeah. Where he's like, I thought it was paper. They said it's paper-like. It's hard to move. When he drops the rocket, he just goes, oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, right? shit. Right? Like, he just, he's just a guy with a job, even though he's, like, this adorable little tender. I just I thought that was so funny. And then at the end when JoJo's like, I have a girlfriend, but she's a Jew. And he goes, JoJo, there's more important things going on right now. <laughs> yeah. The Jews, and it's he just says it as this guy who's like got a nine to five, right? He's oh, like, I love kid, it. you don't even know. It's so great. I've seen things. I've been on the fronts, you know. So, <laughs> but they're just kind of love throughout, and I, and I love that it's it's not like a typical boy relationship this age in movies, where it's like a competitive, like maybe we'll wrestle. Like they see each other and they run up and I love you and hug. It's just this really sweet, super loving relationship. Yeah. And, you know, the best line was when he's talking about Hitler killing himself. He's like, I feel like Hitler hid a lot of things from us. <laughs> and it's just they have this naivete about them that works as such a funny cudgel against, you know, the scary fucking terrifying reality we see at the end where they're literally slapping, you know, grenades on kids backs and guns in the hand of the elderly who are just in suits. Right. And we see dead people everywhere. It's just that that levity, I think makes this infinitely more watchable than a lot of movies about this time period. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know where I come down on the end, if it's better or worse to examine history in this way. But, you know, I think 
it pays honor to the the devastation that was happening. Yeah. It's very truthful, is how I would say it, right? It, right. In a movie that has like a cartoon like Bugs Bunny Hitler, you know, and little kids running around like as our main POV, it's one of the most truthfully honest kind of powerful movies I've seen in a long time. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the power of it's the power of comedy and drama because really there is no I mean, again, it's not a real difference, but the power of comedy is to recontextualize. Um, It's a recontextualize, maybe this particularly, recontextualize history for you in a way that might be a little more palatable than just watching, like, Saving Private Ryan. But at the same time, addressing the same things that make... Addressing the same things that make um, history so terrifying, but in this lens particularly... I, I love that it's just about it, like you know how you normally watch like anytime you've seen World War Two stories you always see like just the devastation and like all these cities are like ramshackle cities. I actually really yeah. liked that the city they lived in was actually kind of nice. Like it was kind of pretty. Like what well, makes it extra worse at the end when he's walking through the fucking rubble. Right, but like it starts off in this way that like it all looks very normal and very idyllic, and so yeah. the fact that it's the fact that there is this undercurrent of like oh, but it is Nazi Germany, like that's the kind of thing that's very powerful, and like in the context of it being about the end of World War Two and Nazi Germany and like the Allies closing in, there is something very uh, visceral about that concept to me. But again, like. Yeah. I've, I've also watched a lot of those. Yeah. Do- I've watched a lot of those World War II documentaries. I've watched a lot of World War II movies. So to see something like this recontextualized as like kind of a comedy uh, yeah. worked really well for me. Well, this is definitely a case study in does tragedy plus time equal comedy, right? I guess movie really is pushing that to its furthest extent. What I think I like about it too is, like you said, with, Rosie and Jojo and Captain the Captain right which I'm not all the way sold on how they played him across the board but I think when you look back at it most of his moments are a little more altruistic than he looks at the start sure but what they do with these characters and a nice little village and these two really nice little boys that you adore right and this little kid who lets the rabbit go I think there's a version of even like the Hitler and the World War Two that we know. Right. And I am not a history buff. I'll be the first to admit that openly. Right. I know just like broad strokes about all of this stuff. Right. But you always see the like raving, screaming, pumping people up Hitler. You see the Hitler with his arm out looking over his fucking legions and they make him this great fucking war villain. Right. This bigger than life monster. And, uh, you know, we see the the great quote, right? You know, bad things happen when, you know, the good people won't stand up. (laughs) There is this way that a lot of our movies and things like that, that even I've seen, right? Not being like well-versed in this. There is this propaganda from our side, the, the quote unquote good guys that dehumanizes that entire country at that time period. And I think this palette of there were good people in this really fucked up moment. And, and again, it gets back to what the Scarlett Johansson character represents, that even in the worst, darkest times and places, there are still good people trying to do good things. You know, I think that mixing with just turning Hitler into what he was, which is just a fucking clown shoe, you know, yeah. don't put him up there on top of that fucking tower screaming down like the devil himself. Right. 
He was just a fucking scared little piece of shit. Right. I mean, I th- and I, I like that version of the movie too. I do too. I, I think it's important to add. I think because we have a lot of those great, like you know, heroic war movies. I think this one has a lot to offer too. And I, I mean, we're not the right guys, you know, to ask like if this is done with the extreme amount of care that it requires. No. To me, I thought they did a masterful job of honoring and, you know, adding some kind of satire to it. Right. I mean, what it is is it tells a story of it tells a story about the worst one of the worst times in history because I don't want to, you know, count out like the plague or something like that. But, you know, yeah, lots of bad times in history. <laughs> it, it points out one of the worst times in history and that even in the worst times, you can find some of the best people. And you can also yeah. bring you you. Again, you can parent your child back to being on the right side of history without telling them you're wrong. Yeah. I don't know. That's right. It's lovely. Dance with your kids, man. Just dance just, and be free and spread love. Just dance with your kids. It was, a, I, I don't know. I thought, I thought it was pretty masterful the way they, I feel like they did everything they wanted and appeased all the important elements that make this, because this is the other question I had. Who the fuck else could have made this movie? No one. I'm fascinated by movies that that director had to do. Yeah. It. You know, he wrote this in 2011. Right? There, there are movies you see and you're like, you can have a lot of different guys could have done that well. Yeah. I call it like a Ron Howard movie, mm-hmm. right? Like you could just have a really good, capable director can come in and finish that off. Like what's a movie in theaters now? Richard Jewell. There are probably 15 directors that could do a good mov- movie of Richard Jewell, right? Right. I think this one in the lighthouse, I love when I see a movie and you think in your head, right? Midsommar is like that this year. There are just movies you're like, that guy or that lady needed to be here for this to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And a guy like Taika Waititi who can be so irreverent, irreverent and funny, but also we love so much and trust to give us the other emotional truisms you need. I just I was trying to think in my mind I'm like who the fuck would else would we trust to make that movie? No one, honestly. I mean, maybe in the 80s like Mel Brooks or John Hughes. I don't even you know think... Charlie Chaplin. Like there's like four or five guys maybe, you're like all right, maybe I would say Mel guys. I would say Mel Brooks, probably the only other person. <laughs> I think Mel Brooks has like the same thing as with Titi where he's so talented and he writes and directs and you just trusted him to always do it the right way. Right. Right? Because there's a version of this movie that's so unacceptable that you can't enjoy the comedy. Right. But yeah, that's what I mean. I think well, Mel Brooks was one I thought of, too, where you're like, that guy was so up there. Yeah. And just to trust someone who does comedy that much is quite an honor. And I think Watiti's earned every bit of that. Absolutely. Wonderful. All right. All right, guys, that's it for Jojo Rabbit. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it as much as us. I, I was honestly just flabbergasted. I felt like I got hit by a fucking truck because I thought I was going to go in and have some yucks. And, uh, man, just got my guts ripped out. Cried a bunch. Uh, What an impressive movie, man. And definitely a great end of the year movie for us. 2019 has been a great year for us. And that is uh, thanks completely to you guys, The Alchemist. You really helped us grow a lot this year. We appreciate that. We hope you'll stick with us into 2020 where we're shaking our bacon in January. All Kevin Bacon bangers. It's gonna be uh, we'll awesome. have some live movies. Yeah, we're going to start doing more uh, trips to the theater and doing live movies because we really enjoy these two. We want to talk about what you guys talk about. Uh, share us on your social media. Please leave a rating and review and subscribe. Also, find us on YouTube at The Nerd Alchemist. 
for the film alchemist, I'm Josh Griffey. I am Alex Tantino. Have a great end of 2019, guys, and let's fucking kick some dicks in 2020. Dance with your kids. Dance with your kids.